was a quick offering. Must have some speed merchants going back through there. Well, good morning. Thank you. Praise team. Last, last Sunday in 2019. Roll Tide anyway. I'm sorry I shouldn't have said that, so I'll take it back. Amen. We just don't know what to do with ourselves, do we? So we're just going to have church. How's that? It's good to see all of you. And, and uh, about 80 Kaiapha leaders are on a retreat right now. Well, I'll take that back. They're at Salt, so it's probably not that many. But later on in January, about 80 D group leaders. This is these are the leadership of Chi Alpha at University of Alabama. This is this is the effect of what God has been doing on the campus at the University of Alabama. He is moving in a tremendous way. Um, but this is our final Sunday of, of 2019, just um, four days after Christmas, and uh, what a blessed week it was for Brenda and I. Um, we got to have all five of our grandkids at our house over in Cottondale, Alabama. And uh, it was interesting sleeping arrangements, but we made it. And uh, we had a human helicopter sleeping in between us, but we, we did get a little bit of rest. But I think we had every space in our house that could have anyone sleeping was sleeping. So uh, it was good to have Jason and Kelly and, and uh, their kids. You know, when one lives in Fort Collins, Colorado, and another one lives at uh, Evans, Georgia, it's just good to have them together at all because it's a, kind of a rarity. Um, I want to say something, too. That this is right after Christmas, and we are so humbled by um, the cards and the gifts and uh, all the things that, all the expressions that you gave to us personally for Christmas and uh, I'll just tell you this, I have not, I'm not going to weigh on my scales for a few days because I, I think I've added to my life. Some, some of the, the, the homemade truffles, well, you can't turn that down. It would offend people if you didn't eat them. So we ate them. And here we are, more of us to have here. Um, <clears throat> we challenged everybody uh, uh, earlier in you know, before December arrived, that December the 1st was going to have a debt retirement Sunday, and men did people come through, and uh, and I did a little figuring because, you know, they break down our, our mortgage payment. We have it financed through AG Financial Services, and uh, I figured up that we took care of about almost three years of payments with what we're doing. <clears throat> And the neat thing about it is all of that comes off the principal. So we really kind of flip the way the breakdown of the payment's going to be done after this month. And so, uh, and there's a few gifts still coming in. So we're, we may end up around $30,000. And if God speaks to you, um, we'll, we'll say amen to whatever he says to you. Because uh, he, won't, he won't speak anything to us that he won't enable us to do. And uh, he might have tested you at times to speak some things to you, and you're like, do what? 
And uh, <clears throat> when, you, when you follow through with what he challenges you to do, you find out that he has resources way beyond what you can see or think. And he goes way beyond what we could even think or imagine. Um, we also challenged ourselves this month to our faith promises, and this is how we support our home missions and uh, foreign missions. And we have a, couple, a few things here in town, the soup kitchen. We support them every month. We support the Save a Life here every month, Tuscaloosa Prayer Network every month here. And, um, and this month also we're helping through Grace First to help the Dulham House, which is an orphanage for children, primarily uh, dependent children who have nowhere to go other than foster care from women who are at Tutwiler Women's Prison. You know, uh, Shelby goes to prison in the prison ministry a number of times, and I've been in a few prisons and uh, to do ministry, and I was asked by the chaplain at Tutwiler to make a visit. <clears throat> the story, I'll try to make this brief. Uh, there was a lady that was at the metro jail, and she got sent to Tutwiler because of some drug uh, charges, but also she had defrauded churches of money, and we were one of them. You know, we didn't really give any of our money. We had a community service, and we had a few hundred dollars that came in for that, and so she, she had a really good story that her children was up at the... Um, you know, Memphis Hospital for Children, and uh, she needed motel costs and stuff, so we, we said, well, give her the money we took in in the offering, and she came under conviction, and she told the chaplain at Tutwiler, who was an Assembly of God woman, that happened to be the one of the chaplains there, and she called me up and said, there's this lady, so she needs to ask for your forgiveness, and I said, ask us? She says, yes, this is a long story, just you come down, we'll arrange it. You know, out of all the prisons I've been in, I've never really been nervous, but I was actually a little scared walking through Tutwiler. There, there were some ladies that were scaring me. And, and I, I mean, I've been in other prisons. It's like, oh, Jesus, help me. Just get me out of here. But she had a roll of toilet paper and was sobbed. She said, do you remember this, the lady that came in and said, that was me? And she said, I, don't want, I need to ask your forgiveness. And I want to be clear with God, and it's bothered my conscience that I defrauded so many churches of money. And so I had a chance to pray with her. And right there in that same prison, Pete and Angie Spackman, he's prison ministry, and they realize how many pregnant women go into Tutwiler, and they have their babies, and some of them have no, well, the family that may take them, but they're high-risk babies. And they formed the Adullam House. And so when you give the Grace First or Adullam House, it's going to that orphanage. And they've already got children that's come up through high school that's come through the Adullam House. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm glad I'm supporting, we're supporting Adullam House. Because that's what ministry is all about. Well, I'm going to get to the message. If you got a, a handout on the back panel, you'll see the the uh, title of this message. Sometimes titles mean something, sometimes they don't. So, we aim to please. That's the title of the message. We aim to please. That ought to be part of our mission statement. It's probably a lot of businesses' mission statements. 
Well, there's a, there's a business in town. They've got two or three, uh, let's see, one, two, three settings, I think. One's in the mall and two, two three. They got four Chick-fil-A's. Now, you can't go there for lunch today. So that's part of their attraction is that they close on Sunday. Uh, the late Truett Cathy, who's founded uh, Chick-fil-A, he was kind of like what J.C. Penney did when he founded his chain of stores. A lot of people don't realize that when J.C. Penney was alive, J.C. Penney did not open on Sundays. He closed all of his department stores down on Sunday. He, he had to pass away before they changed that. Well, they honor the Lord, and they also have great service, right? Right? Uh, and they're, they really have good food, and the thing about it, they, they're more expensive. All you have to do is compare. But they also have this one thing they all do. They all say, when you say thank you, that, see, I don't even have to tell you what it is. It's my pleasure. And the story goes, if you, you can research this, it's not really, there's nothing in their history that says this, but the legend is that Truett Cathy went into a, a, uh, an expensive hotel, and when he said thank you for some of the amenities, the lady responded to him by saying, my pleasure. And it kind of lodged in him, and, and I don't know if the story's true, but that it, it's on Google Internet, so it's got to be true. You know, if it's on the internet, it's got to be true. So he said, well, that's an interesting way of, of responding instead of you're welcome. That's, that's kind of like, you know, that's just, you know, staple for our thank you, you're welcome. Or other people could say, don't mention it. I've never understood that reply. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, I mentioned it. I shouldn't mention it? Oh, okay. Um, no problem. In, but... They are trained to respond to thank you with my pleasure. Now, what does that mean, my pleasure? It really means that that's their way of appreciating your delight in how you've been served. They realize that you've been pleased with what's happened, so this is their way of saying we are glad that you're pleased with our service, you're pleased with our food, you're pleased with the environment, the atmosphere. It is one of the neatest places to be around. It is probably, I think it's been voted almost every year as a favorite restaurant, fast food restaurant in the United States. When Jason and Trish moved from Monterey from the Defense Language Institute, when he finished his language school, and they moved him to Fort Gordon, Georgia, and, and that's where they're there. Now they're on their second deployment in Fort Gordon. Here was this Snoqualmie, Washington young lady being moved to the great humidity of Georgia. And you know what really helped her get through that trauma? Chick-fil-A. She thought she had died and went to heaven. She loved Chick-fil-A, and that was her one positive about the positive for us is that she got pregnant with our first grandchild, and that's, that's forever marked for Gordon for us. People want to, people, I've heard people say throughout the course of testimonies that when they get finished with their life here on this earth, they look forward to Jesus saying one thing to them. You know what that is, right? 
Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in this. Come on in and enjoy the surrounding of heaven. That's his welcoming is that you have been good and faithful servant. I'm going to take you to Hebrews 11 to work what this title is all about because it's about not it's our aim to please people at TFA. And, of course, we do want your experience here to be a good experience. But it's not about public relations. It's not about rolling out the best we can do. This title is not about us pleasing each other, but it's about us pleasing God. And in Hebrews 11, this is the chapter of faith. And in this chapter of faith, he specifies, the writer of Hebrews specifies people who are examples of faith. And he gets to Abraham and Sarah, and he has a lot to say about them because he is considered the father of faith. But before he mentions Abraham, he mentions three people that predated Abraham. One of them was a son of Adam, Abel. The second one was a man named Enoch. And if you look it up in the Hebrew, it's pronounced Enoch. You have to kind of clear your voice when you say Enoch. And then the last one, the last of the three is Noah. But there's something interesting about Enoch that I want us to look at, and this is really what this message is about, is his life, his testimony, the uniqueness about what is written about him, and he only appears in the New Testament two other places, and I'll take you to one of those places in just a moment. I want to zero in on verse 5. If you have Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 5, all of these are, are celebrations of faith. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Enoch predates this record by a few thousand years. He goes way, way back in history. This is going... The writer of Hebrews goes way back. He picks up Abel, and the next person he picks up is Enoch. And then the next one is Noah. These are all men who lived a few thousand years before he's writing this. But it's almost as though he's more familiar with Enoch than the other two. We know the history of the other two, but he says some things about Enoch that stands out. Enoch is also found in Luke's genealogy of the birth of Jesus. So he's, he's one of the ancestors of Jesus in his birth, in, in his genealogy. And there's no elaboration. Luke doesn't say anything about it, but just names him. And then there's the second mention, which is in Jude. That short little epistle right before you get to John's, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Just 20-something verses long. And he mentions Enoch in Jude. But I want to take you back to what Moses wrote about him in Genesis 5. Genesis 5 is, is a list of genealogy, and when he gets to all of these men, he mentions them, who their father was, who they begot, their son. And after every one of them, he says, and he died. 
But he doesn't say that about Enoch. In verse 24, if, you're, if you want to find Genesis 5, 24, in fact, Enoch's son is probably more famous than him, Methuselah. You can ask any JBQer how old Methuselah lived, and they can tell you. That's one of their questions. And I was asking someone this morning, I said, what do you know about Enoch? The one person that I kind of run my message by just to see how it's going to go over. And he says, well, uh, do you know about his son Methuselah? Yes, he lived 969 years, I think is what she said. I said, that's a JBQ question. I said, well, how long did Enoch live? He says, probably a couple hundred years. I said, well, he lived a little bit longer than that. What do you think happened to him? I said, well, he died. I said, are you sure about that? No, I'm not. <laughs> but this is what Moses writes about Enoch in verse 24. There's more to this because I'm, I'm skipping the genealogy stuff. That's what you do when you read genealogy. You just skip it. Enoch walked faithfully with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. And that's all. That's all he says about it. When you go back to Hebrews 11, the writer of Hebrews says a lot more about him, does he not? But all that Moses says, he walked faithfully with God. He was no more because God took him. He did not experience death. This is how Hebrews describes. He did not experience death. He and Elijah are the only two people we know of that did not experience death. There's not a grave marker. There's, their body was not entombed somewhere. There was not a funeral. There was not a memorial. And it says he was not. They could not find him. And I remember that story about Elijah that he got in the chariot and he took off and he disappeared in the heavens. And what did the prophets do? Well, probably crashed or landed out there somewhere. They did. They went looking for him on the hillsides. Well, that chariot might have crashed. And they found him. They looked for him. They couldn't find him. And the same thing maybe with Enoch. He disappeared and everybody's looking for him. They couldn't find him because God had taken him. He did not experience death. But just like the, the prophets went on to respond to all of this, Jude calls Enoch a prophet. Well, at least he talks about him prophesying. And it's all about faith. It says, Enoch by faith walked with God and was not because God took him. By his faith, he pleased God. And it gave this explanation that without faith, it is, do you want to please God? Well, I tell you what a prerequisite is to please God. You have, I and you have to have faith. He makes this exclusive statement that it is impossible for you and I to please God without faith. And isn't that what Jesus is saying when he welcomed you? Well done, you good and faithful, faith-oriented servant. What you've done for me, you've done because of faith in your life. And so he's elevating faith here. And it's a belief that God rewards those who diligently or earnestly seek him. You must come to him and believe that he is, believe that he exists, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek his face. Now, this is a serious pursuit of God here, is it not? It's just not like thinking about him. It's actually going to him and, well, we go to the Lord a lot of times, don't we? We pray. You know, whoever comes to him must come believing that he is, that he exists. So we bring prayers. We, we bring petitions to him. 
But there's sometimes we really seek him, right? When things are going haywire in our lives or in our children's lives, or some, there's a health issue, there's a financial issue, there's disruption, there's chaos, and we really seek God, and he says, we believe that he's going to reward those who diligently seek him. This is all about pursuing God. Now take this note from Enoch, and you have to go back to the first verse in Hebrews 11. It says this, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. In NIV, now that's King James, and that's the way I learned it, okay? NIV, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And it seems that this dimension of faith that he's writing about Enoch in this chapter, what people could not see is what they trusted God for, right? If you can see it, you don't need faith. Seeing is not believing. I mean, I've heard that statement, seeing is not believing. Seeing is just confirming. You have to have faith in what you don't see. And it seems like in all of these people, there's something about Abel brought a more excellent sacrifice to God without the idea of a structured system of sacrifice. He just had the sense that God wanted him to bring what he brought. He did not have any perspective or context to do what he did. He was walking by faith by bringing that sacrifice. Enoch walked with God. He trusted God, and he trusted God in such a way that the reputation about Enoch, how, how would you like to have that reputation? You know what? That guy right there, that guy really pleases God. That's his testimony. That, that guy going right there, that guy really pleases God. Now, I don't know how they came to that conclusion. I would think he probably was a radical faith man. More radical than anybody else. You know, that's how we create new norms, right? A new normal. You know, The Normal Christian Life by Watchman Nee, it's a great read. Most of us are living a life that Watchman Nee says is not normal. The real normal Christian life is this flood of the presence of God in our lives. It's not about moments with Him. And I don't think, I don't think he's writing about any who had moments with God. I think he's writing about someone who lived it every single day. You couldn't see that. It's like the guy I encountered in Phoenix, Arizona. We went out there for Tommy Barnett's pastor's school. This was way back in the 80s. And this elderly guy picked us up at the airport, me and another guy. And he stopped to get us something to eat at a McDonald's, something, a fast food. And he went around to every one of those tables and witnessed to everybody in that restaurant. While we were sitting there eating our sandwich, they're like, wow, this is pretty good. He's showing us how they do evangelism. That's what I thought. You know, he's showing us evangelism. That's what the school was. It was about Saturday soul winning society. Anybody ever hear of that from Tommy Barnett? And we, we, we did that. But everywhere that man went, that man witnessed to people. Everywhere. It didn't matter where we stopped. And we was like, well, that wasn't just a demonstration at McDonald's. This is this guy. And I come to find out that that guy had only been saved about three years. And it was so radical. The change in his life was so radical. He thought everybody ought to experience this. 
And he went with the anticipation that somebody was going to experience what he experienced. I think probably that's more normal than what we thought we were. That this is kind of like Enoch. This man walked with God and he had such a walk with God that he pleased God. This was his, this was his calling card. This was this man of faith. <clears throat> and he's mentioned in Jude as this guy who prophesies and he, he prophesies about what's going to happen to people and the ungodly and and he's a man of God's word you know Noah never saw it rain in his lifetime and especially when God told him there's going to be a flood and I want you to build this ark and the dimensions of that ship was mammoth it was longer. I think the one in Kentucky is on the same scale. I've never been there. Anybody been to the ark in Kentucky? I, I hear it's very impressive. It's over a football field long and three to four decks high. It had no sails and it had no rudder. And the guy that was building it never saw it rain in his lifetime. It never rained. Isn't it interesting that Noah believed God without seeing, without having context of a flood, never saw a flood, and he's building this mat, and he became the local joke. People would walk by him, they would make fun of him. It took years for him and his family to build that. I don't know if he had anybody hired. The movie that came out about Noah, they had trees coming out of the hills to help him build the ark, and they're like, well, I think that's a little stretch there. But Noah didn't have a context of seeing. I think we probably spend too much time waiting for God to show us something before we believe it. So what does it take to walk with God like that? It takes faith. To him who consistently seeks him, God will reward that person who consistently seeks him. The... Uh, Last, last night, I, I told Brenda, I said, you know, I think I can get more out of going to Starbucks and going over my notes than watching this game. But it, it started out as a game. Um, watching this massacre of Oklahoma by LSU. I said, you know what, I think I'm just going to, and it, it was only like, like 21 to 7 at the time. I'm going to go, I'm going to go to Starbucks. And there was nobody there. I th that's the time when a football game's on television, you go somewhere. You go straight to the front of the line and nobody's there. It's just like, I'm getting, I'm going over my notes <clears throat> and I'm, and I, I get the cheapest thing in there, which is a cup of coffee. And uh, you get free refills too. So I'm about to leave and I say, I'm going to get a refill. So I go up and this young man behind the counter college-age looking young man and it just dawned on me you need to talk to him and this is what I was impressed to, to ask him because this is assuming a lot of things 